When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of For Real is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders, the digital bookish resource and hangout spot for readers. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to insiders, short story, novel, and the epic level, and you can try any level out for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers like you, insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows, the Read Harder podcast, which gives recommendations for the Read Harder challenge task by task, and Book Riot Remixed, where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, and our new release index, the Epic Book Club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight in books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow writer Alice Burton, recording on Friday, August 13th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Um, so I would like to popularize <laughs> through our, our mighty listenership, I would like to popularize <laughs> the phrase of my friend for the current situation and say that I am experiencing the Delta Grumpies <laughs> because <laughs> I think that that encapsulates it really well. And from most, if not all people I have talked with, that is what they are also experiencing. Uh, yeah, I feel like this week in particular, like just a general level of surliness and grumpiness from like everyone and like for no reason other than like pandemic life, but you know, like grumpy about stuff that normally wouldn't wouldn't make people super upset, and it was just like too much. Oh, I get what you're. I was gonna say. I think there's a lot of reasons, Kim. But <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sorry, what like things that wouldn't normally get that kind of reaction are like getting outsized reactions, and like. I was in a meeting this week and people were having a debate about something and I got out and I was like, that really just made me want to cry. And like, normally I would not have wanted to cry after a meeting, but, but you know, it's just, it's just the week. It's just the week. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of things also about this week, which is going to be the week prior to when this comes out. So just think back (laughs) a few days (laughs) this week. I've just seen a lot of people saying it feels really long, which Mm. I would also concur Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. Yeah, it's just been it's just been a lot. Are you are you reading anything in this these trying times? Okay, I did a thing which I actually recommend to people if they feel comfortable going into their library, and if not, they could just scan the app. But so over my lunch hour this week, I was feeling very uh, Delta grumpy, and I decided to go to my local library, which is fortunately like a pretty close walk to me, and just like browse for things Hmm. and i was like you can pick three books and then just you know see if you actually want to continue with them and so i went up and down the aisles and just like i checked out fiction and nonfiction, and i have like a pretty it's not like a huge 
branch library for Chicago. So, you know, it doesn't, it's not like, oh, this is overwhelming with all of these options. And I found three books that looked really neat that I had never seen before. So... I don't know, it was neat because then you just like have in your little tote bag and <laughs> you're like, oh, I have like three new things. And um, it was just kind of a little a little lift to the week. So that was nice. That is really a delightful idea. I think that is I, – I haven't browsed the library in a really long time. Um, just, yeah, I go in to pick up my holds and then I, I leave. I haven't sort of just wandered the stack. So that's a really good idea. I like that. And if you get nervous, you can also be like, I have 10 minutes. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to look at stuff for 10 minutes and then leave. But yeah, it was it was nice. I'm probably going to start doing that a little more often. I love it. Yeah. Um, I have one piece of follow-up from last episode. Uh, I think in uh, what we were reading now, I talked about how I was going to pick up a book called An Ugly Truth Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination by Shira Frankel and C- Cecilia Kang, um, which is a book about from two New York Times reporters about like the sort of the history of Facebook and like how that platform has changed. I read like two thirds of that and then it became due at the library and I had to bring it back to avoid late fees. So I, ha- I put it on hold again and I'm waiting for it to come back. But man, it was super interesting. Oh, yeah, it was fascinating. I like I'm sort of predisposed to be grumpy about Facebook because I have to do social media for my day job and like it's very annoying right now. But like, man, just like all of the stuff that Facebook has been super negligent about and that we should expect them to I don't I don't even know if we should expect them to do better, but just like that we have expected them to do better and they have just really dropped the ball on is really staggering. So it was fascinating. I really am excited to get it back and finish it because it was it was really good. So, An Ugly Truth, Inside Facebook's Battle for Domination by Shira Frankel and Cecilia Kang. Super good. Going to pick it up again. Wow. I thought you were going to be like, I got two-thirds through it and I threw it away. <laughs> I mean, it, it was – some of the stuff in there, I was like, gosh, I would – those – Mark Zuckerberg, like, what a jerk. But, no, it was really fascinating. And, like, especially, like, Facebook became a thing when I was a freshman in college. And so, like, I don't have any of, like, my adult life without Facebook sort of, like, being in the background. And so just, like, some context and some background about some of those, like, privacy issues that they've had. And there's a whole section on, like, Russian interference in the election and, like, how much Facebook knew and didn't know and what they did and didn't do about it. That's just – it's just maddening, but also, like, good to know. Can I say that – it's a it's a very Minnesotan response to be like Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> what a jerk! <laughs> I know, yeah, it's that's the worst thing I can think of. Is he's he's a jerk. All right, uh, with that we will go into our first sponsor. Uh, this week we're sponsored by Tor.com Publishing and Never Say You Can't Survive by Charlie Jane Anders. So things are scary right now and it's easy to feel helpless. Very true. But we are not. We have the ability to imagine other worlds and valiant struggles. And writing can be an act of resistance that reminds us that other futures are possible. From the award-winning author of novels including All the Birds in the Sky and The City in the Middle of the Night, this is one of the most practical guides to storytelling that you will ever read. Full of memoir, personal anecdote, and insight, it's the perfect manual for creativity in unprecedented time. Charlie Jane Anders is the former editor-in-chief of io9.com, the popular gawker media site devoted to sci-fi and fantasy. She's the author of the highly acclaimed science fiction novel The City in the Middle of the Night. Uh, She's also the author of uh, All the Birds in the Sky, her debut novel, which won the Nebula Award for Best Novel and was a Hugo Award finalist. I love both of those books. They're super good. Uh, Never Say You Can't Survive began as a blog series on Tor.com in the summer of 2020. The book contains additional sidebars, writing exercises, and a new introduction. 
So it is not just a nuts and bolts guide on craft. It's a collection of personal essays centered on experiences, the good and sometimes intimidating, of telling stories as a member of a marginalized community. So that is Never Say You Can't Survive by Charlie Jane Anders from Tor.com Publishing. Sounds really good. It does, yes. All right, so uh, this week I just have one nonfiction news story to bring, and it is about another announcement of casting in uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which is a book by David Graham that's being turned into a movie by Martin Scorsese. This week they announced that John Lithgow has joined the cast, playing the role of one of the prosecutors. And I just wanted to mention this because it prompted me to go like look up the movie again because I feel like I've seen casting announcements and casting announcements and casting announcements and I really liked this book and so I'm excited about the movie but like I wanted to see a full cast list because I felt like I had heard and it is just it's a ridiculous cast Jesse Plemons Leonardo DiCaprio Robert De Niro Brendan Fraser who I haven't seen that guy in a movie in a really long time those are the big names that I recognize, but they have a bunch of um, also Native actors playing some of the um, Native American and Osage tribe characters. So it's just a really, um, it's a great cast. So I'm I'm jazzed about it, but no information about production date. Wait, you're telling me Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro are in a Martin Scorsese movie? <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I am, according to Wikipedia, yeah. And it's are. all men? That's yeah. weird for that guy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I appreciate your, your skepticism. I hope that it is better than your sarcasm suggests you think it will be. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> I haven't, haven't really um, uh, examined the work of Martin Scorsese because he really, really <laughs> seems to enjoy just rounding it out with an all-male cast. That's true. That's true. I didn't mention the female characters but there are some women in there they just weren't being played by people i recognized but all right so that's the news uh and we will move on to new nonfiction, which are both coming out now or soon that we are excited about and you are first because i've been talking for a long time i mean you could just go on i understand that but uh (laughs) yeah there we're um again approaching that time of there being a lot of new books which Mm -hmm. i'm very excited about but i think we're just at the start of that Mm-hmm. which uh, is nice. Okay, so my first pick is Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness by Deshaun L. Harrison with a foreword by Kiesu Lehman, which is very exciting. So this book explores the intersections of blackness, gender, fatness, health, and the violence of policing. So really like taking this like idea of intersectionalism and being like, Here's how these all come together, which um, I think is very exciting. So this says to live in a body both fat and black is to exist at the margins of a society that creates the conditions for anti-fatness as anti-blackness. And it talks about uh, fat black people being hyper-policed by both the state and society, um, passed over for housing and jobs, and misdiagnosed uh, by medical professionals, which, I mean... Yes, like absolutely to all of this. So Deshaun Harrison is a fat, black, disabled, and non-binary trans writer who, again, sort of looks at what anti-fatness as anti-blackness is, what it looks like, how this plays out in the United States in particular. And foregrounding, it says, the state-sanctioned murders of fat black men and trans and non-binary masculine people in historical analysis. So, like, really, really getting into some stuff that, I mean, obviously, the last year especially, we've focused a lot on anti-blackness. Bringing in anti-fatness with anti-blackness, I think, is 
and a really important perspective. And their work here just, I mean, I'm really glad that Kizzy Lehman is like writing the foreword. And, you know, like, I feel like that kind of um, brings more attention to the book. So that's awesome. And uh, yeah, so this is out now. And again, it is Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness by Deshaun L. Harrison. That sounds very interesting. And yeah, like you said, bringing a lot of different topics kind of together and showing how they're connected to each other. I think that's really an interesting approach and an interesting connection of things to bring together. So yeah, good pick. My first pick is, I think, maybe a little... It's more intellectual than I have been reading lately, but I read part of it and I think it's super interesting. So I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, And the book is called On Compromise, Art, Politics, and the Fate of an American Ideal by Rachel Rachel Greenwald Smith. Came out August 3rd from Grey Wolf Press. And so this book is an argument about why compromise can be dangerous in areas of art, politics, and in life. So... She kind of sets up the book by, um, in sort of a political way and looking at sort of the way that liberal society, thinking kind of broadly about that, views compromise as always good. And that like compromise is sort of this ideal that we hold up in a lot of different areas. Like my first, my first thought is always politics, but she talks about it in the context of art and, and about our personal relationships and all of those things. And so after setting up this idea that like compromise is always good, she basically is like, but actually, is it really? And instead, and talks about how we should not think about compromise as an end, but rather a means to get to something else. And so she, but she does this in a bunch of really interesting ways. So she, early in the book, she talks about her her experience as a bass player in a band and how like different members of the band would sort of try to take the lead on songs and how sometimes in compromising to try and come together, they end up with a song that is not good and like doesn't have a voice and doesn't have like a sense of identity. And so she kind of goes from there out into a bunch of different areas. Um, the, uh, summary talks about the Riot Girl movement, the Iowa Writers Workshop, uh, poetry, um, fascism, and all sorts of other things talking about how compromise is not always good. Um, and so she, what I like about this one is actually like she's clearly doing some like really big thinking and like bringing in a lot of different arguments, but her writing style is super clear and it's super readable and she has done it in such a way that it feels very approachable. And I appreciate that because my brain is like not in a space right now to be doing a ton of intellectual work. And so an intellectual book that is really approachable in the way that it's written is good for me right now. And I think also that like, part of what interested me about this topic is that like, we're in a situation politically where we see efforts to compromise in some situations. And there's a lot of pushback against that. Like, why should we bother to do that? Um, And so I think kind of taking an an, uh, argumentative stance to say, like, maybe compromise is not always the, the good and not always the end goal of what we should be doing is an interesting and useful approach. So and I find it really interesting in that respect, too. So the book is On Compromise, Art, Politics, and the Fate of an American Ideal by Rachel Greenwald Smith. I guess that reminds me of when you have like, like a thing written by a committee, and it usually mm-hmm. sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that, that sounds really interesting just in terms of like, well, then what do you do with that? It, you know, knowledge that like frequently mm-hmm. when you have like a very individual voice, then it, it's a lot more powerful. But you also want to <laughs> not necessarily yeah. drown out the voices of others. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. My next book, I 
am a giant nerd about. And <laughs> it's, I was just really excited while reading it. Um, it is The Arbornaut, A Life Discovering the Eighth Continent in the Trees Above Us by Meg Lohman, published by FSG. Meg Lohman is also a giant nerd. Uh, she is Margaret D. Lohman, a.k.a. This is on her Wikipedia page, a.k.a. Canopy Meg. <laughs> which I just find really endearing. Uh, she's an American biologist. And basically, uh, so the, in The Arbonaut, she talks about um, coining the uh, phrase the eighth continent to refer to life in the treetops. And how as a child, she basically, she goes, it's her memoir, but also talking about, you know, the work that she has done looking in the canopy. And she talks about growing up in the 50s and 60s and kind of in a rural area and like getting really into nature and like keeping a journal of, you know, when different insects would appear throughout the year and like learning about seasonality that way and like all this kind of stuff. And she was just, she like saved up her money to... Oh, what did she want to buy? Oh, she she found some eggs, like, from the 1800s in her grandparents' attic. It was, like, an egg collection. And so she was trying to go through and identify all the eggs because the labels had worn off. And so she asked her mom if she could order a set of calipers from, like, a science catalog that she had to order to find the calipers and so she like saved her allowance money to buy calipers to measure the eggs so that she could identify them and that's when she was like seven it's just really cute so anyway if you are a nerd if you experience if this like rings true to you at all but like you know not necessarily about eggs but like something else in your life (laughs) um she's just a really endearing voice and so earnest about how much she loves treetops and the canopy and how wonderful leaves are she's really into leaves so in this she talks about um being an arbornaut which uh and uh known as the real life lorax which is fun so she (laughs) she goes into um in some in some cases she goes to countries and she helps them create like a tourism industry through um treetop walkways and you know like having people then sort of learn about the value of you know like what's up in the trees and all this stuff and also generating revenue that's not necessarily ecologically destructive for these countries so um, she goes to the Australia's rainforests uh, to measure tree growth um, and the uh, obviously the United States she grew up there and the Scottish Highlands and Malaysia and India and Ethiopia and she's just like going everywhere being like these are why trees are important and these are why like the ecosystems in those trees are important and uh, it's just it's been a real nice pandemic escape <laughs> just be like this nerdy lady in her trees. So yeah, um, that is The Arbornaut, A Life Discovering the Eighth Continent in the Trees Above Us by Meg Lohman. That sounds very soothing. Yeah. Like, as you were describing it, I was like, oh, that sounds just relaxing. You know? Yeah. Trees. Great. It's just, it's nice to open and just be like, oh, what's she, where's she going next? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. All right, so uh, my last pick is a memoir that is called The Last Nomad, A Coming of Age in the Somali Desert by Shugri Saeed Salah, which came out August 3rd from Algonquin Books. And this is a memoir about a young woman who was, she was born in Somalia and she was, uh, she talks about how she was the spare daughter in a large family. And so when she was six years old, she was sent to live with her nomadic grandmother in the desert. And so she was one of the last people in her family to learn about 
what it is like to be a nomadic group in the desert that is like looking for like constantly moving in search of water and grazing lands and living there. And so she uh, writes about her childhood there. She learns about how being part of this like nomadic side of her family helped teach her courage and independence and kind of the freedom that she had in that. But uh, as she grew up, she and Somalia, the country, were forced to confront change, violence, and instability. And so she writes about trying to, as a like emerging and young feminist, trying to break free of the patriarchal beliefs of her culture um, and then eventually being taken from the desert and then displaced by the Somali Civil War. And so she goes to a refugee camp in Kenya and then eventually to North America. And what I really loved about this one is that she had this beautiful introduction where she, better than, like, any immigrant memoir I've read in a while, like, contrasts her life as a child in this nomadic group in the Somali desert with where she is now in the United States with her family and her children. And, like, she's it's not that distant from her childhood to where she is now, and yet she has this she had this beautiful way of like stringing those two things together and showing you like just what a change it was, but also like what she has learned in like a very, very concise and beautifully written intro. And so like, I just, something about the way that she like connected those things really struck me and I thought was really beautiful and really like drew me in from the very first couple of pages of this one. So I haven't gotten very far, but like, I just just like the way it's done is really beautiful and I'm I'm finding it super great. So uh, that is The Last Nomad, Coming of Age in the Somali Desert by Shugri Saeed Salah. Oh my gosh, that sounds really good. Yeah, it's the writing is really beautiful. Like I and I I I haven't been able to like put my finger on like what about it was so like striking in the intro, but it really was. That wasn't even on my radar. Now uh, I'm gonna put it on hold at the library. Or maybe I'll go and browse for it. Looping <laughs> that back around. Uh, let's talk about our second sponsor, which is This Party's Dead by Erica Buist. In This Party's Dead, journalist Erica Buist travels the world in search of better attitudes towards death. I have actually started this book, and the reason that she starts on this quest is because her father-in-law dies, uh, his body isn't discovered for a week, and she basically goes into like an existential crisis about death and how to deal with it and how our culture deals with it. And she also feels like weird anxiety about like, this is my father-in-law and culturally we're not allowed to like have big emotional reactions about that Mm -hmm. relation, which I thought was interesting and accurate Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I started thinking about it. So that sort of starts her on this journey where she goes from Mexico to Nepal, Sicily, Thailand, Madagascar, Japan, and Indonesia, which she also like wedges in New Orleans in there, which makes sense. And uh, looks for the answers to both fundamental and unexpected questions around death anxiety. This is perfect for fans of Caitlin Doty's From Here to Eternity. Like, absolutely. Um, if you re- if you like any of Caitlin Doty's books, this is in the same sort of, well, on the same wavelength. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for sponsoring This Party's Dead by Erica Buist. Excellent. That sounds really good, too. I'm not surprised that you started that one. That feels like a very Alice book to me as well. She, uh, she's very funny, which I appreciate. Yes. Excellent. 
All right. So with that, we will uh, shift into our weekly theme. Um, this week, we sort of decided to take something that's a little bit off topic and talk about books that we would like to see adapted in some way. So I thought of all of mine as adapted into TV shows because I watch a lot more TV than I watch movies, but just generally books that we think should be adapted into another format. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add? Nope. <laughs> all right. Perfect. So my first pick for this uh, is a book that I read a couple of years ago, The Yellow House by Sarah Broom, which was the 2019 National Book Award winner. And this is a book about a young woman who grew up in New Orleans. And she so it's about a house in New Orleans. And so it starts out in 1961 when Sarah Broom, the author's mother, bought a house in this very promising neighborhood called New Orleans East and then started to live there and like that seemed like it was going to be a really up and coming area and then it was not <laughs> and so her husband passed away she remarried and then their family eventually had 12 children and they lived in this house and so the the book is about the family all connected to this one house and what happens to the house after it becomes not in an up and coming neighborhood in New Orleans and then eventually is affected by Hurricane Katrina and all of that it, there's a ton of really interesting stuff in this book. It's like there's themes about gentrification, about inequality. There's the history of New Orleans and like how that city has changed and like what different areas have been over time. Uh, Sarah Broom's story is about like leaving home and then coming back and like her connections to her family through this place. And I think like I, I thought about this one as an adaptation. It reminded me of something like maybe like a This Is Us kind of show where like you could have multiple timelines all happening and like going back and forth because the connected tissue of the book is this house and this place. And so I, I could see a series where like you have all these different characters, but they're always connecting back to this place over different periods of time. And like there's just so many like relevant themes in the book that I think would be like good to explore through like a TV adaptation of some kind. So I just, it's just such a good book and I would love to see like these stories told in another way. So that is The Yellow House by Sarah Broom. I think your adaptation version makes sense. I keep meaning to read this book and then I'm like, it feels maybe a little heavy. What are What are your thoughts on that? I mean, the themes are heavy, but I don't think that, like, it's not a hard read, like, complexity-wise. I mean, it, it's it's on the heavy side for sure. Like, there's a lot of difficult stuff that happens to their family, but I, I liked it. I think it's a great book. Is it longer or no? No, I don't think it's it's not too long. How many episodes would be in this season? I'm imagining, like, 13 episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I accept that. I think I'm going to say 13 episodes for all of the books that I picked, though, because, like, that's my favorite length of a TV series. <laughs> um, that's really specific and interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, my first pick for adaptations is American Fire, Love, Arson, and Life in a Vanishing Land by Monica Hesse. Uh, I was brainstorming, like, oh, what things would I actually want to see an adaptation of? And I was like, oh, this could be really good for, like, really getting into characters yeah. And, like, also there's, like, a weird thing happening mm -hmm. <laughs> in the background. The background uh, thing would be arson. So, mm -hmm. as maybe tipped off by American Fire, this book is about – it's about Accomack County uh, right by Chesapeake Bay. And in 2013, there was this series of arsons, like, like just, like, fires happening uh, with the, in these abandoned buildings. So, like – 
locals would be like, oh, yeah, another abandoned building was burned down and no one knew who was doing it. Eventually, it would be 67 buildings were burned down. So this is just extremely frequent. So in this adaptation, right, you'd have the culprits who are revealed pretty early in the book. They are Charlie Smith and Tanya Bundick, who uh, were romantically involved. You'd have them, you'd have like the sheriff and like the fire mm-hmm. department. Everyone would kind of know each other and they'd be like interacting and then it would be like, oh yeah, there's another fire. And then they'd go and watch <laughs> it and there'd be some really good like artistic shots of the building burning down. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd be yeah. like, oh, am I like, am I into this like arson thing? That's bad. <laughs> it would really, really like make you ask questions of yourself. And mm-hmm. then uh, you would also have, you know, like the mystery of like either they would reveal also early on in the show who did it. Or it would be like, oh, who did it? And then it would be like, oh, oh, it was Charlie and Tanya the whole time. Can't decide. But this would definitely be on HBO and it would be like eight to ten episodes. Yeah, I agree. Right? It has like that vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's my <laughs> that's my pitch. <laughs> that that book, American Fire by Monica Hessa, I felt like it was like it's a quick read and mm-hmm. uh was just kind of like a nice if you're not looking for like a really, really in-depth nonfiction, but like a true crime where no one gets hurt. Yeah. It's a good option for that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's, it's a good nonviolent true crime pick because like the crimes are certainly serious and there's a lot of like social stuff going on where they're talking about why this like particular community was right for these kinds of arson attacks and stuff. But like, I don't think anyone dies. So it's, it's not like, it's not too gory or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent pick. All right, so my second pick is one that I I feel like maybe I have not talked about on the podcast because I read it over my vacation in July. Uh, it's called Hudson Baybound, Two Women, One Dog, 2,000 Miles to the Arctic by Natalie Warren. And so I think the first thing you need to know is that one of my like very weird nonfiction book loves is Women in Canoes, and that's what <laughs> this book is. <laughs> I love books about women taking like canoe trips. Wow. So... This book is a memoir about the 85-day journey that Natalie Warren and her friend took, uh, Anne Rahio, right after college, took from this route that goes from Minneapolis to the Hudson Bay. And so it's 2,000 miles paddling, like, first kind of upriver and then downriver through Minnesota and North and South Dakota and into Canada. And at the time that they did it, they were the, – no women had ever done this particular canoe route before. It had only been done by men. And so they were these, like, young, just-out-of-college women who were going to do this expedition that is very trying. It's very difficult to, like, do that whole canoe thing. By the time you get up in the north part of it, it's very cold. There's, like, polar bears and stuff that can attack you. So they had to, like, learn how to shoot guns because they could get attacked by a polar bear at the end of their, like, trip. And so there's, like, that adventure part of it. And then the other part of the book, as you're, like, following along on this canoe journey, is them, like, meeting people who live along these different rivers and how the rivers affect their communities and how, like, environmental change and pollution and all of those things are affecting the communities along the river and, the like, ecosystems that are connected to it and all of that. And so it is a really fun and interesting book. It's a little bit funny because in the beginning, she tries to sort of, like, seed some tension, like, oh, this, like, terrible things are going to happen to us later. And then you get to, like, the thing that she's been alluding to, like, midway through the book, and you're like, oh, this this doesn't sound as dramatic as you wanted us to think it was. <laughs> like, they sort of built up the drama a little bit. But I do think in terms of, like, a TV show, 
Again, I'm thinking like mini series, like 10 to 13 episodes, but like I think it would be really fascinating to watch, do a, a, a show like following them along the river. And I think it would be like there'd be a ton of really beautiful scenery because they're going from like a lot of different ecosystems from like down in Minnesota all the way to north to Canada. I think there's a lot that you could explore about like changing environment stuff through the show. And then the other thing is because the two of them are on a journey. I think you could have a lot of really good, like really good guest stars and stuff who would come in for just one episode because they meet people in these communities and then they move on and they never see them again because they're going on this journey and they're not coming back. And so you get a lot of really big stars to come in and just do their like one episode along the river somewhere. And I think that could be kind of a fun like piece of the adaptation too. So that's my that's my pitch for Hudson Bay Bound, Two Women, One Dog, 2,000 Miles to the Arctic by Natalie Warren. What other canoe women books <laughs> have you? Portage by Sue Leaf is one of my favorites. Wow, that was fast. Yeah. Have you been a woman in a canoe? No, I have not. Nope. Wait, like you've never gone in a canoe? I've, I've gone in a canoe, but like on my parents' lake, not like on a journey. Got it. Okay. Um, I hope that this can happen for you. <laughs> I believe you can. You know, based on like their experiences canoeing on a journey, I don't think I'm built for it. Like I don't have the personality to like do that, but I like to read about it. I mean, that's totally valid, right? Like, <laughs> wait, what do I love reading about? <laughs> no, I'm like flaking. I'm like, I don't know, naturalist, but like, I don't want to go camp in the woods. That's <laughs> not appealing to me. I would like to go and stand there and then go back to like a hotel. Right? That's the problem. They, like, go on this this adventure, and they, like, don't shower for days, and they have to carry all their stuff in their canoe. Like, I couldn't carry enough books in a canoe to, like, make it through a whole canoe journey. I would sink the boat. So I couldn't do it. That's fair. Okay. Next pick is Never Caught, The Washington's Relentless Pursuit of Their Runaway Slave, Own a Judge by Erica Armstrong Dunbar. We've talked about this one Mm -hmm. a couple times, but I'm bringing it back because I'm actually surprised that there has not been an adaptation of it. Mm -hmm. When I was like flipping through books, I was like, oh, yeah, this. (laughs) And I feel like it's been read. It's not like an obscure pick, Mm -mm. you know? But okay, so if if you are unaware, uh, listener. When George Washington was elected president, he went uh, from his home in Mount Vernon, Virginia, to serve in Philadelphia. And so he took, uh, which at the time was our capital, and then it got moved to Virginia, which we all know from Hamilton. Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) So when he went, he took uh, eight enslaved people, which included Ona Judge, and uh, he, you know, it was like his wife, Martha Washington also, who I think was the actual, you know, quote unquote owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so because George Washington was not as wealthy as Martha Custis Washington. She also, it's funny because I feel like I grew up hearing that like Martha Washington's like so nice. And then like from this book, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, So basically, uh, Ona Judge found out that Martha Washington was Go, but then by found out, I mean, she told her, like Martha Washington told Ona Judge, she was going to be given as a wedding present to Martha's granddaughter, who was known to just be an awful person, <laughs> like just have a really bad temper and uh, just generally bad reputation. So and like Judge was interviewed later and she was like, I knew if I went back to Virginia I would never get my liberty. And so she knew people in Philadelphia 
And she had her things carried there and then left the Washington's house while they were eating dinner and she ran away. So then you're like, oh, cool. You know, she's she got away. But like George and Martha Washington were like, oh, no, no, no. We are going to get her back. And they like sent like slave catchers and like agents out to go and find her and like put notices up. And she had gone to New Hampshire and she, uh, they find her at one point and she basically, like, just doesn't, she doesn't go with them. Like, she gets mm-hmm. away and she ends up, uh, just living, living out her life until, gosh, she was like 75. Yeah. About she's old. When she passed away. Yeah. And it's just, and like, she was 22 when she ran away. And so, like, it's, this is another, like, pretty short book, but like, mm-hmm. I could see this, honestly, I think it should probably be a movie. Because the what do you think? Yeah, I think I think you could put this in a movie, like especially because I remember when I read it, like there's not a lot known about Ona Judge, and so a lot of what Erica Armstrong Dunbar, the author, does is like write about female slaves more generally, and then uses her story as kind of a a, a touch point throughout. But there's not a ton known about her because she escaped and then had to kind of be low-key and off the radar and obviously we don't know a lot about female slaves anyway so i think if you wanted to just bring it down to her story you could put it in a movie yeah i think you could frame it around her maybe like her being interviewed or Mm -hmm. or you could have the interview at the end because it's like the triumphant moment right is like the disappointed like slave catcher like leaves new hampshire and she's (laughs) like you know in her community and then we like flash to when she's like 75 and being interviewed Mm -hmm. and just like telling the story, not to make it all like Titanic-y. <laughs> I guess that would be framed around the beginning and the end. But maybe we need a new GIF for it's been 84 years. I don't know, except it would be like it's been 50, <laughs> 56 years. years. It's fine. Anyway, so yeah, that's my, that's my second pick. Oh, I should Excellent. say it again. Sorry, Never Caught by Erica Armstrong Dunbar. Excellent. I think that's a really good pick. Yeah, I... I'm surprised that nobody's tried to adapt it yet because it's it's a it's a really good story. Oh, sorry, I should say that I didn't actually research whether it's been adapted. I just assumed. Oh, <laughs> I was yeah, like, I, I haven't heard of one, but I really I'm looking it up right now. I don't see anything. I think that's a good assumption, but yeah, I think that'd be a really interesting one. All right, so my last pick, I was kind of torn between two, and I'm going to mention the two I thought about and why I thought about both of them. The one. I, the first one I thought of was All American Girl by Robin Ha, which I thought would make a really interesting, like, teenage coming of age kind of story. But then the one I really am going to talk about is All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung, which both of them I think have, like, I think what I was looking for in a book to suggest adapting was, like, an Asian American immigrant story and what it is like to be an outsider in the United States as an Asian American person. And both of those books have that. But I think I'm, I'm leaning towards All You Can Ever Know because that this is a book about a, a adoption. And I think that interracial adoption is being more discussed now than I feel like it has been in the past. And so a book that, or an adaptation that explores that would be really interesting. So the book is a memoir. Uh, Nicole Chung was born severely prematurely and then placed up for adoption by her Korean parents. And she ended up being raised by a white family in a small town in Oregon. And so she, as a kid, heard this story about her adoption as being this like, really 
wonderful thing that her biological parents had made this sacrifice in order so that she could have a better life and that her like she was just always going to feel a little out of place because she was an Asian American person adopted by this white family and that was just kind of the price that she had to pay for this like hopeful uh, life experience. Um, as she grew up, she obviously experienced prejudice that her family like didn't really understand. And when she was um, going to have her own daughter, she really wanted to like try and reconnect with her birth family. And so she goes out and seeks them out and then writes about that experience of reconnecting with her birth parents and how complicated that was and what it is like to sort of be thinking of her family in this new way. And I just, I, it's a beautiful book. I really loved it. It's beautifully written. And I just, I think it would make a really beautiful movie or like short adaptation, like particularly just because I think we need more stories about interracial adoption and to like explore those ideas more and like what that means. Because I think that it's, there's just more conversations about that now, it feels like. And so I think this would be a great example for that. So that is All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. That book is so good. It is. Like, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good pick. Gosh, now I want to reread it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, I think I read it when it was like first being released because it was it was a hubbubbed book. And mm-hmm. also, Nicole Chung seems really, really great. And if you do not listen her, you should follow her on social media. Yes, definitely. All right, and so with that, we will wrap things up as we normally do by talking about the books we are reading uh, right at this very moment. Uh, The book that I am picking up is one that I just checked out from the library yesterday. Uh, It's called Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking by John Acuff. And I picked this one out because uh, one of my coworkers and I have this joke about how we constantly overthink things. And so we'll be on our like work chat thing and we'll just send a message to the other person is like, I need your opinion. I'm overthinking something and then like present the issue. And the other person is like, yes, you are overthinking this. Here's the answer. Uh, And so I saw this book on a list and it talks about how overthinking masquerades is being prepared, but it really is fear and that we need to do that there's a way that we can like use that overthinking to to our advantage and like stop it from being a weakness and fear and turn it into something good and I sent it to her my coworker, and we were both like oh yeah that's that's pretty much us and so then I got it and I felt like I had to read it so I'm gonna read that this weekend uh it's called soundtracks the surprising solution to overthinking by John Acuff I was looking for first of all that sounds really good and relevant perhaps to nonfiction readers. <laughs> yeah. Uh not to be all like snooty about it, but we should all feel snooty. Anyway, my current read is American Sherlock by Kate Winkler Dawson. Did you read this? I talked about it, but I didn't finish it uh for no reason other than I think at the time my brain couldn't handle it. Yep, yep, yep. So on a uh an opposite note to that, <laughs> um I was I picked it up because I was like, gosh, I think I need like a nice straightforward history (laughs) of like, here's a person and here's what they did to change things. And it's not, it's about like forensic science. So it's not something like climate change, which we should also read about, but it can be a little overwhelming at the moment. So um, yeah, just kind of looking at like the 1920s and just this history was, it just sounded nice. It does sound nice. I agree. So yeah, it's American Sherlock by Kate Winkler Dawson. And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Thank you, Jen. 
Uh, if you have a minute, we would love it if you would visit Apple Podcasts to leave us a rating and review. This helps people find us more easily. And then while you're there, you can follow so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I am Kim Ukura. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.